You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 59, Monster in Paris. Don't judge this flea by its cover. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling, and I'm here with my lovely, fabulous, amazingly talented co-host, Chelsea Robson. Why, thank you, my dear. You should be singing on a stage somewhere in Paris. Oh, well, well thank you. Or Nashville, actually. A little bit more yeah. relevant, but... <laughs> there is a Paris, Tennessee. I could go there. Done. It's the home of the famous catfish fry. <laughs> Rock on. <laughs> so if you're new to this podcast, this is a show where we are animation addicts just like you. We're obsessed with animated films. We love talking about them, analyzing them, dissecting them, and just geeking out about them. This show is a bi-weekly show that Chelsea and I do, along with our other co-host, Mason. And so today we are reviewing a somewhat newer animated film. It's a French animated film called A Monster in Paris. Um, doesn't really get that much notoriety. It didn't really hit theaters here in the U.S. to really give it a chance uh, in the United States. I mean, it was released overseas. But we love this movie. So we're really, really excited to talk to you about A Monster in Paris because that's what we do. We, we review the popular movies like Frozen and basically anything that Disney Pixar does. But then we like to go and introduce you guys to some other movies that maybe you have heard of, but you didn't see, but you're maybe interested. So this show is for you. What's great about this episode is we really do just jump right into it. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're jumping right into the jumping right in. Like a flea. Boing! Ladies and gentlemen, come and see Paris from above! Europa Films proudly presents... Raul, a smooth delivery guy. Well, hello, Madame Omelette. Hope you're not feeling too scrambled today and you're feeling nice and over-easy. <laughs> Emile, the Casanova. Ah, it's showtime! Lucille, the singer. You're not just a singer. You're a star. I'm a star. I'm a princess. What a ripper team. Charles, one smart monkey. Charles, with a lovely singing voice. You didn't see something strange in there, did you? You mean besides a singing monkey, a 50-foot sunflower, and vials of potions that almost killed us? No. And introducing Frank. There's a monster in Paris! A giant singing flea. Sharp. Who's larger than life. And ready for an adventure. Oh. We came to see your so-called show. He's got your eyes and my hairy legs. It's 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 a monster. Ouch. Hey. He's not a monster. I feel alive when I'm beside. Where is he? Who? The monster. I don't want to go to jail. Arrest the monkey. Is she alive? Look, sweetheart, I didn't come to argue with you. I came to save you. Save me. Let's go. the drama queen a monster in paris it was uh no it was uh, magic yeah exactly it was magic (laughs) i really like this movie the music is fantastic (laughs) 
I, you know, and this movie is one where you want to judge it immediately. It's not from a big studio. It's actually from a very, like, unrecognizable studio. And right away you're just like, this is going to be bad. But it's yeah. completely the opposite of it, which makes it so cool. Right. And, and surprising. Yeah, I, I think it's one really cool thing about it is it starts in such a weird, not well, like, not so much weird, but just it's a very non-conventional way to start in the middle of a story almost. Mm-hmm. Because you're starting in the middle of this romance almost with Emil and Maud, but then it just like shifts to later on you find that Lucille and Raul like each other. And uh-huh. I was just like... That is so cool. It's just undertones of like, nice. Well, yeah, even it keeps like building upon these different layers that they haven't shown us before. And even at the very, very end, they sh- we realize that Lucille and Raul actually knew each other since they were so little. Yeah. And that, you know, they actually both liked each other since they were like in the first grade, basically, and kind of had these different differences that tore them apart. So, yeah, it, it's really cool. I like this movie a lot. I I just, even from the very beginning, I was just like, I really like this movie. So I agree. Yeah, We're agreed. (laughs) (laughs) This will be a very um, diverse discussion that we have. Hey, we're just going to go with it. So how is everybody? We're glad that you've all joined us here for our main discussion. We basically just watched this movie again. This will be the second time for me, at least, that I watched this movie. And we just started up our phone call and like record record right now yes <laughs> it's just so good we just both wanted to start talking and we would you know you guys wouldn't hear the good parts of the conversation because that would be off air so we just said record 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 pretty awesome <laughs> pretty fantastic so the first question that i had when the movie starts out is where did all this water come from mm-hmm. and i decided to go in and make and just kind of do my own little research, pull a magic school bus on us and do some research. In 1910, there was actually the Great Flood of Paris. Did you look into this at all? No, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, so this is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) In late January 1910, uh, what happened was there was a lot of rainfall. The river started to come up. Most of the time, it didn't actually go up over the, the rim of the river. What it did is it seeped up through all of the canals and up through the tunnels and all through the sewers and all the drains. And so can you just imagine how disgusting this would be? Oh, man. (laughs) So it's just all the drains are just coming up and it just started to fill up the entire city and it ended up being about 40 million francs worth of damage, which today would equal to about $1.5 billion in today's money. Like, so horrible. But what happened, because because the water rose over time, there were no deaths or anything like that, but it just, it was just nasty. (laughs) The water got to its highest after 10 days, and it was about 28 feet above where it normally is. Um, it finally did go over the rim, but after about 35 days, the water was just gone. Oh, this is just disgusting. <laughs> the worst month of your life right here. Yeah, they did not talk about that in the film. They just said, yeah, it's it basically the city's flooded, but we don't need to go into the nitty gritty details. That's just disgusting. 
Right. That's nasty. But they actually did have all these wooden walkways everywhere that the people had built. And people did go by boat everywhere. So it's cool <laughs> in the fact that they didn't they didn't actually go into all this, which was kind of confusing to me. But it, as far as the storyline, it was just an interesting setting because yes. it left you asking this question, what is going on with Paris? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now we know. <laughs> yes, now we know. It sort of had an intro like The Incredibles, where it's this old-timey uh, TV, but this here we're in the theater, and they're doing a news story about what's happening in the current state of the world. Um, I didn't necessarily love that first scene where it's, you know, it's real people, actually. It's like real footage yeah. from um, the flood. and But just the way that it was set up, it just looked too... I don't know if you saw this, but like the, there was a big arch of where you know, it was being projected onto this cinema, supposedly. And I don't know, just yeah. the way that the composition of the whole thing, it just looked too fake to me. And made me kind of nervous watching it at the very beginning. I'm like, oh, no, is this what it's going to be like? But it wasn't. Thank goodness. Yeah, I thought that was kind of strange, too. The first time I watched it, I remember thinking, is this like a preview that I'm missing? Like, I don't understand how it's going to go into the animated movie from this. Well, and then it goes uh, right into not the animated movie, but a movie that you're right. supposed to be watching. Um, but it's more like a daydream in a way, right? Yeah, Emil is in charge of the local theater. He always has his camera. He's an aspiring filmmaker, mm -hmm. but he <laughs> runs the theater. And I guess they're watching this movie about a man who is saving the dra like saving the world from a dragon or his, you know, his princess or whatever. And he falls asleep. You figure this out after the fact. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it just goes into this fact of him and Maud, who you meet later, as he's being the man of the hour and saving her from this crocodile turned dragon. <laughs> and it was the rumor. I just, the first time I saw it, I was so weirded out. And like, who is this leprechaun looking dude that we're supposed to like? I don't, it was weird. But the second time going through it really. I just enjoyed it. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. Yes, I have the same feeling about this movie. The first time you're really confused. It doesn't clearly state everything that's going on, and you're kind of trying to grasp and, and figure things out as you're going along. And so it's a bit muddy at the beginning, not the best execution, but watching it again, perfectly clear. It makes sense. You understand what's going on, and it's actually better second time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We are ranting and raving, more more so raving about this film, and it's only the first five minutes. <laughs> Seriously, if you have not seen this movie, it's you have to see it because it's very um, underappreciated in a way, just because it really didn't get uh, a, a release here in the United States. The movie was made by Bebo Bergeron, and he's actually a French animator and film director, he has been in the industry for a long time. He was involved. He was an animator for lots of things like Fern Gully, Fifle Goes West, We're Back, uh, Goofy Movie, The Iron Giant, uh, B-Movie. So he's been in lots of things. He even directed The Road to El Dorado and Shark Tale. So the very it seems like the majority of his career was uh, he was with Don Bluth and Amblimation for a period of time. And then brief stint at Disney and then DreamWorks. Um, he started his studio, which is called Bebo Films. And he started it back in France in 1993, which I think is kind of interesting because he's been busy and working this whole time. So I'm not quite sure 
what he was doing with his studio. Maybe it was just like, all right, we formed the LLC and it exists. But um, <laughs> I couldn't see any other films necessarily that he had done, but that's okay. After, I basically, one of the last things he worked on was kind of the, just random things here and there for DreamWorks. And then he released this film in 2011. So obviously was probably spending about two or three years working on this and we didn't get it here in the United States, but it was released. It was released this past spring in April um, on Blu-ray and DVD. So that's how we got to see it. And I was very, very glad that I reached out to the studio that released this on DVD. Oh, really? I think it's called Shout Factory. And saying, hey, can we get a review copy? And I don't know necessarily why I did. I just did. And I'm really, really glad that I did. Yeah. Because I liked it a lot. So that's a little bit of history about this film. It's it's actually, like, really sad. There's not a lot about this movie that you, you know, the history and the workings. And, you know, obviously interviews are, don't, don't really happen because if there were, there were interviews with the original French cast because it was released in French. Yeah, like even if you go to IMDb and, you know, they have those like quick link section on the side, you can look up trivia and quotes like those are blacked out because there is no trivia and there are no quotes. Oh. Oh. So Super sad. I mean, so if you've seen this movie and there's some, there are some pretty good quotes in here, you should go and add those because, oh, it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should really reach out to Bebel Bergeon. <laughs> yeah, no definitely. Reason. I mean, we I would love to get more insight about this film and the premise you know because he he was one of the writers on it and he wrote it for his father i was like oh that's nice yeah and this movie's like very quirky and it's not your traditional storyline like it has enough unique elements that make it work it's kind of loosely based on phantom of the opera but like barely like i, I understand maybe like hiding your face with the mask and and, a few, and you know the singing or whatever but it's very loosely based so but for the most part, it's a very unique story for animation. Uh-huh. And uh, speaking of animation, the animation quality was really good. I was watching through it, and it's definitely, it's not as fluid as, you know, some of these bigger companies, you know, like Pixar doing all these, you know, amazing blue umbrella type animation. But it works, and it's not distracting, and it tells the story and the color scheme, I really liked the color scheme. A lot of the city was done in a lot of pale colors. And then every once in a while, you'll see like a splash of color on something that you're supposed to be focusing on. Mm -hmm. And I just, I liked it. Yeah, the animation, I wouldn't, you can tell it's a lower budget film, but they, you can tell they put their money, they use their money very wisely. Yes. Um, you know, they didn't do it on a whole lot of effects and there really weren't very many effects in this movie. And you know, the the characters are more cartoony, which works because then they don't have to necessarily get um, anatomy and body proportions and skin folds correct. Um, it's not super detailed when it comes to, like, matting different layers of wrinkles and freckles and um, some of these more complicated elements. But that's okay because the story is good enough to carry it. It's sort of like when we were talking about the Charlie Brown holiday specials. I mean, yeah. that animation is so bare bones. It's nothing spectacular or special but the story is good enough that you look see past it and i think this is kind of the same instance um it, in certain times it kind of looks like tv animation and i don't really mean that in a bad way because tv animation has come so far it um, that it's very presentable and watchable um but it just doesn't have some of those more some of the more intricacies that obviously feature animation has at a very large scale 
Um, yeah, so I, I really liked watching this movie, and I, the character designs were were interesting to me. They were appealing. So, okay, so let's let's go back into the plot. So we're introduced to Emil, and he has kind of a crush on Maude, and, he, you know, he's getting ready to leave one day and, and is getting himself worked up to ask her out on a date. And I'm, like, kind of excited for him because she's really cute. She's not a supermodel, but you can tell she's a very attractive woman. And you can kind of sense these little sparks between them. And, you know, he's asking her one thing, and, and she's, she, yes, yeah, anything else? You know, you can tell, you know, this is that awkward moment in a relationship where it's like we're both super interested, but we're not quite sure how to break the ice or really, you know, just put your foot out there and say, yes, okay, do you want to date me or let's go on a date? Um, and so right as he is about to do it, up pulls up his friend Raul, who is a delivery man. And I guess uh, Emil kind of just goes on these deliveries with him. With Catherine. Isn't Catherine the name of his car? (laughs) (laughs) Which was like so funny because Raul, he's a delivery man, but he's like the man of all trades. He is more of an inventor. He's always got these ideas and he's always got this, this plan that he wants to do something, but he's got all these odd jobs. And so he's going up and he just needs, yeah, it, there are little things that aren't you have to watch multiple times to be able to get these the key points as to why Raul is calling for uh, Emil at this point. But I think yeah, I think he does just go with him on things. Yeah, they're just friends and buddies. Um, I, he's really funny because as they're driving, he has this like obnoxious coat, right? And um, he's like, "What is that? It's it, it's itchy," and, and you know they start sneezing or whatever. And he he doesn't quite ever say what the coat is at this point what type of fur it is because it's very interesting it kind of looks like it could be porcupine hair (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh, it's just sort of this ongoing gag people are like oh what is that coat what is that coat and um you know later we find out that even emil is like i don't think that's real like i don't know what that is and eventually we find out later on that yeah, it's just straw. Like, he finally gives up, and he's like, ah, forget it. It was just a straw coat anyways. <laughs> and I like that because it, it gave you this little bit of interest at the beginning of the film, and you're, you, you yourself are like, yeah, like, is that real or not? Or what's the deal with this coat? Um, and so when it gets brought back later, um, it's fun to see that <laughs> he was just faking it the whole time. Like he's just trying to – he's trying to be somebody, which is, I don't know, it's just really funny. The The humor in this is very witty. Not It's not witty. What is the word? It's just different. Um, I don't know. It's just got a different rhythm to it, I guess. Which might be the fact that this was a French film originally. Um, yes, everything was dubbed over and translated into English, but maybe it just kind of had this different quirkiness to the film and its humor. True. Uh, but thankfully, translated over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After they um, they kind of go on this little adventure in their car and they're doing their deliveries, we cut to a new character who is Lucille. And she's a very beautiful cabaret singer. She's the niece of a woman named Carlotta who's very interested in setting her up with someone wealthy so she can have a companion. Um, and so she tries to set her up with the commissioner, the police commissioner. And the commissioner is this very kind of tall and husky guy and obviously very wealthy, very um, prestigious in his community and looked up to. And uh, she's not really interested. He gives her this big bouquet of roses and she's like, meh, no thank you. It's kind of like a Beauty and the Beast Gaston thing. Yes. 
That's what I got out of this relationship. <laughs> but before that, she sings this beautiful song, which I love. This is my favorite song in the whole film. And who knew? There's songs in this. But it's done <laughs> so well because it's centered around a, a theater and a stage that it's not weird. Like, they never just break out into song, um, as you'd it's expect very- in a Disney film. Yeah, it's part of the plot. Yes. Um, and my favorite song is called La Seine. And it's just, once you hear it, it will get stuck in your head forever. La Seine, La Seine, Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, so awesome. I, like, I would even consider this putting that song in my Disney playlist because it's an honorary song that's that good. <laughs> Yes, right along with what if Odette doesn't go for the merger. Yes, that is there. I will tell you that is always there, and I love when it comes up. I know. Uh, but do you know what Lassen is? No, tell me. Later on, he refers to it. He's like, oh, we must go to Lassen. Lassen. Lassen is actually is the Long River and the important commercial waterway within the Paris Basin north of France. Well, I don't think that translation would work too well in the, in English. Yeah. Well, just to the river because he wanted, he was like, the fleas can't live in water, so I must put them in the water. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that made a lot more sense. Oh, good. See, so we're learning together. Yes. <laughs> and I really like her cabaret outfit that she wears. She has this, like, these angel wings. First off, she has this white dress. Uh, yeah. It's very form-fitting and, like, you know, we say this film doesn't have a lot of detail to the characters, but there are certain characters that are very detailed. And I love the fabric on her dress. It's just mm-hmm. sort of this, it's not beaded, but it just has this beaded-esque texture to it. Yeah. I can't even explain it, but it's really pretty. And, you know, kind of these poofy sleeves, very form-fitting, like a gown. Um, and then she has these cool angel wings that she wears, which I just love. Um I'm like, Chelsea, you need to incorporate that into your your set. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would have worked perfectly when I was at the Rock and Our Ranch. <laughs> Cowboy Angel, come on. You could sing a Chelsea Robson original. <laughs> yes, there we go. I really like her freckles. They gave her a lot of, of good personality with her because those details in her face really make her beautiful. And her freckles are something that I think do that as well. Ooh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I feel like there's been a lot of animated characters recently who have freckles. And maybe because the technology has gotten to that point where uh, it's more cost efficient to do it, where before you might have to add these freckles one by one. But yeah, I think of Rapunzel, Anna and Elsa both have that now, and and she does. And it's just cute because it kind of adds a little bit of realism to the character. It makes you feel like this is more of a real person, not airbrushed and fake, but there's, uh, you know, freckles technically are flaws, but they're they're cute little flaws. Mm -hmm. As we are introduced to Lucille and to everybody here at the cabaret... My other favorite is Albert, who's the waiter (laughs) slash um, composer, I guess. (laughs) He's got this giant, like, triangular nose that's just amazing. (laughs) He's one of those guys who thinks that they are an artist or that they're going to make it big, but they have no talent at all. Well, I, I I assume that he was the one that wrote this song originally, but the way she sings it in the very first time, it's very like smooth jazz right uh-huh, here. Uh-huh. 
But then later on, it gets beefed up and added a little bit more of a swing to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes to her and he's he's basically trying to pitch himself like, oh, I can join your band or I can be part of your show. He's like, my friends say I'm good. And trust me, anyone who has any lick of talent or no talent even, their friends tell them they're awesome. It's true. We've all seen American Idol. Okay. These poor people, because they have these horrible friends that say, you're good. Try it I've out. been through it. I know it. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but that's what happens at American Idol. Because I, I did go and I went for American Idol like a couple of seasons ago. And what happened was, the you know, the, you go through the first couple rounds and they take either the best or the worst. So the people that go in, make it past the first round are either really great or they're really not. And you, they know based on the code that they write on your, your golden ticket, quote unquote. Uh-huh. So they have multiple codes that they could write. They'll have, I think, I remember they had like four or something on this piece of paper that the person who passed you on to the next round would write on your golden ticket. And Based on those codes is basically where they end up putting you later on in the show. Uh-huh. So people that go through, they don't know which code is on theirs. And they're just like, so uh, I'm good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like they just and if if they continue to be bad or if they continue to be good, they stick with that code and it gets pushed on through until it hits the wonderful moment of now you're on TV. Congratulations. <laughs> Oi. Yeah. I love what he says. He's like, she's like, well, maybe you just need new friends. <laughs> and, he, and then yeah. and he's like mumbling to himself, walking out the door. He's like, it scares her. True talent scares her. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. You have not opened up to the true. <laughs> Can we say diluted? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, at this point in time, you go back to our fun-loving duo. You know, they're making deliveries all over the place. And then they stop and make one at this professor's lab. And they just kind of let themselves in. Um, and the prof- professor is not there. But he has sort of this monkey ape named Charles. And uh, he's kind of like the guard monkey. You're not supposed to go in. And this professor, I'm not quite sure what he does, but he experiments with different potions and chemicals. He's a botanist. Yes. Yes, he is. And so Raul, being the inventor, starts just dabbling in things that he should not dabble and uh, starts mixing things. And they discover one, which temporarily gives animals, I guess, a singing voice. And it accidentally gets sprayed on Charles and he starts singing, oh, very heavenly and beautiful. It's a very <laughs> uh, unique sounding voice, which will come into play later. And then another one is they have the seed of a sunflower and he sprays the, the concoction on it. And, you know, then you're supposed to let it germinate and get wet. Nothing happens. So he sticks it in this big, like, pond and it grows like Jack and the Beanstalk, really, really, really tall. And he's really excited because of sunflower oil, which was something I did not pick up on the first time. No, I didn't either. And it's because Catherine, the car, <laughs> he's made it so this car will run on sunflower seed oil, and it gives <laughs> it that extra kick. And like, it makes it super fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, so he sees this giant sunflower. He's like, "Oh my goodness." You know how much oil you could get out of that? <laughs> See, these are the things that you just miss out the first time because you're kind of confused at what's happening. 
yeah. during that, those initial scenes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the second time around, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> then, so immediately the flower is too big and it topples over and they're trying to stop it and push it so it doesn't fall and break all the glasses and these chemicals. Fortunately, it does. These two chemicals that we just so happen to have just got um, a demonstration of, <laughs> uh, they kind of float together up in the air and crash, and we don't see anything come of it. There's a big explosion, mm-hmm. and everything goes out. But luckily, Emil's camera is still rolling because he's getting this whole thing on film. Mm-hmm. And we always see is this monster type thing come out of the darkness and then jump out of the building and leave. Mm-hmm. There, <laughs> then um, Raul is just like, um, okay, let's get out of here now. We didn't do anything. Let's leave. <laughs> we were never here. Yeah. <laughs> so they just leave. And then the next scene is actually a scene where Lucille and Raul meet. And Raul it basically starts starting a fight with her out of no, like just like yeah you've been showing off since first grade da 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 and they both just hate each other at this point but then she says how about if you come back with a medal of honor then sure you can have whatever seat in the house you want the best seat in fact and all the champagne to drink on the house ha 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 and he's like interesting okay. <laughs> Yeah, so then we cut to the monster, and he has been traveling all night long, going from place to place and scaring the wits out of everybody. Did we, did we talk about who the monster was? No, we didn't. Go for it. So the monster, we learn, is this flea. And the flea um, was one of the fleas on Charles the monkey. And when these two concoctions, these two potions kind of crashed, he sprung up at some would, some would say the right time, some would say the wrong time. And he sprung up and he landed in the middle. And so he was able to have the superpowers of both of these concoctions, which is the ability to sing and then to turn super jumbo size. <laughs> and he hops away and we see him creating all this havoc. He's scared. He can sing, but he can't speak. Just unfortunate. Uh, if this were me, I would just sing everything that I have to say. <laughs> but he My life is a musical. He doesn't realize this uh, and can't sing his way through to help have these people help him. They just scream at him and run away. And then, of course, um, uh, France and the city of Paris, they think that, oh, there's this this monster that is attacking Paris. And this is kind of the same time when she walks out of you know the cabaret and um, she's right before she meets uh, Raul and gets in that fight with him, she's reading this sign that kind of explains, uh, you know, Paris is under attack. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. So, hey, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's how it comes around. Okay. We're both learning. <laughs> so uh, cut back to, I mean, we're kind of all over the place on here, but um, when that one waiter guy bumbles off and it's it's the next night, I guess, where she's performing, he goes outside and the flea is just chilling in the alley and he gets scared, runs away. And Lucille comes out to see like what all the fuss is about. Lucille then sees the flea, freaks out, faints, 
and then wakes up again and runs away. And all of a sudden, the flea just starts crying, like not crying, but he starts singing his song of Everybody Hates Me. And it shows his point of view of when he went from just being in somebody's hair to now he's in an entirely different world where everyone is shouting and screaming and scared of him. And he just doesn't know what to do. And so he's just like singing this this very melancholy drama song that's actually quite pretty and wins her heart yes. or at least charms her over to think I'm going to keep you in my show. <laughs> yes. And in the lyrics, it, it kind of gives reveals his situation and he says a monster in Paris. And so she kind of puts these things together and, and I don't know why she chooses to, I, I think it's the music that wins her over. Yeah. Um, but wow, she really gets one over because she brings him inside and then she's just like dolling him up and playing with him and putting different hats and wigs on him, trying to disguise him. Like all fear of the unknown is gone. She doesn't care that he's a giant bug. No, not at all. I thought about that. I'm like, wow, I would be so afraid if I saw that thing in the alley. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, you see those little pincer things that he has hanging off his face? This is not yeah. cool. Not cool at all. <laughs> so I, yes, I would be incredibly afraid of this thing. And we just, you know, last Halloween, I'm, I went to a, a haunted house and, you know, you know, things start jumping out at you and you just expect them to. For me, at least, I don't get scared at haunted houses, but something like you see something like that on a random night on the street, you'd freak out. Mm -hmm. I, I would be afraid. I 100% agree. Um, so she finds this kind of disguise for him. It's a very nice white suit, um, a very cool hat, a mask. And as she's doing this, he's plucking away at her comb and realizing, oh, this creates music. Um, so he's apparently musically inclined. I don't know if that's naturally or because of the potion. I want to say because of the potion. But And um, then he sits on the couch and this guitar that's hanging over him like flops down on him. And we can all see where this is going because we were giving little hints about his musicality before. Um, she leaves because she has to go take care of something. And when she comes back... Basically, uh, he is jamming out at the guitar. Carlotta comes in, is like, oh my gosh, he's awesome. Where'd you find this guy? And uh, then they proceed to incorporate him into the show. And then he starts playing his little jig and makes a very much more swinging version of her previous song. I, I liked adding the little bit of a, not a flamenco style to it, but just a bit jazzier, upbeat version of this song. Mm -hmm. It was fun. As they're playing this song, and it's just funny. I mean, I understand why they did this, but apparently her show is one song long. Right. <laughs> she starts and then she ends, and then the, the drapes close, and she's like, great job, guys. That was a great performance. <laughs> she must be that good where people will see her for one number. <laughs> it's the one-hit wonder. <laughs> Nobody cares if you're a singer and you have one song that everybody knows then everybody wants you to sing it always. And they don't even care about your other stuff because that's not the one I know. I know this song over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no proof that she's a one hit wonder, but we're led <laughs> to believe she just loves this one song. So um, what I like during this part is it gets uh, a bit abstract. Roncure and she, they go and they sort of float in the sky and you know, the lighting gets sort of funky and jazzy and it's just fun. Like I really like this bit of abstractness that they take into the movie. Um, just between them, you can see that they're really connecting and having this bond and it's fun. 
Oh, so then um, Raul and Emil, they came to this performance. They introduced themselves, and she's all irritated because they got these medals, right? <laughs> yeah, they ended up getting the medals because the second commissioner, he ends up tracking these guys down because Emil ended up leaving a, a little piece of film behind him. And so he tracks him down, and because of this film that he was able to make of the transformation of the flea, the commissioner is like, yes, this is my chance to show Paris that I am the end-all savior king guy, your best man. And so they're like, um, so do we get medals? <laughs> because we have this tape for you. <laughs> So they got medals of honor. <laughs> oh, man. And so they show up at the show and be like, guess what, Lucille? Look what we have. Yeah. She's like, oh, crap. What? <laughs> yeah. So they come in at the end of the show and, you know, congratulate her on the performance. And, you know, they're they're commenting about her new duo, her new, you know, guitarist. She's like, his voice, have you ever heard anything so sweet? And they're like, yeah, actually we have once, in a monkey. <laughs> and they start putting two and two together. They realize, oh, we know what this is. <laughs> like, oh, crap. Well, then they're going up to shake his hands, and he gets, like, one of the five legs that come out. Oh, yeah. And shake their hand, like, oh, crap. <laughs> Figures, uh, disgruntled employee is always the one to spill the beans. So Albert, that waiter, he's mad because, you know, he's not in the show anymore. And so he goes and tells the commissioner about this new flea who is, um, you know, obviously a flea and this menace that has taken over to Paris. Um, and so then we are going to like a kind of a festival where Lucille is performing. Because the commissioner is going to tell everybody that, yes, I am going to be your savior. And I'm, it is I who will save Paris because I will use the water that I've. This is why I haven't been doing so much to get all this water out of the streets. It's because I knew this monster was around and this monster is a flea that he can't take water. So that's why it's all there. <laughs> There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so they've come up with this plan in order to get the flea away so the commissioner will stop chasing him. They're going to try and make it look like the commissioner won. And the commissioner did, in fact, kill the flea. And so they give him this quote-unquote remedy for this potion, you know, to make this flea small again. And the commissioner's like, I'm not going to use this. But then the flea shows up and they're like, commissioner, use it and you can win. And so he does. And there's a big explosion and the flea is gone. And they're like, yay, commissioner wins. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So the second commissioner looks around and realizes, hmm, there's a bit of, you know, fabric popping out of this trap door. They open it up and they see that the flea is there. They've been duped. They're really upset. And begins the chase scene. Ah, uh, the chase scene. And this lasts a very long time. It does. Um, I think at the chase scene, it kind of slowed down for me. I didn't enjoy it nearly as much. Mm-hmm. But I forgot about this one. Going into this part, on the way there, Emil finally gets up the courage to send a note to Maud yes. to, to ask her out on a date. And it's just on the back of a postcard of the Eiffel Tower. And she, it's like, can I take you on a date at this time? And she's like, okay, yes. 
but it doesn't say where. <laughs> She's like, dang it. So, but she assumes that it's on the Eiffel Tower because it's on this card. I really don't think that's what he meant, but that it worked out. Yeah, it's like, I guess that's what people in France do. It's like, hmm, undisclosed location. It must be the <laughs> Eiffel Tower or the Louvre. Yes. <laughs> One of the two, right? Yeah. <laughs> so she goes there, and it's very convenient because the chase scene ends at the Eiffel Tower. Yes. And it's the big boss battle, as as expected in these these films. And so the commissioner and the flea and Emile and Maude is, are there. Yeah, everyone's there. Yeah, everybody's uh, They're there. at the very, very top. What are they doing up there? See, this well, is the flea gets, he is trying to get away, but he can't jump anywhere because there's water everywhere. And so he's up on the top, but he can't stay on the top because he's also like shrinking again. The potion is wearing off. And so he's just totally out of juice, basically. And he ends up at the top, and there's a light at the top of the Eiffel Tower. And he gets in there. It really shows how much of a scumbag the commissioner is because he takes Maud and he holds her off as if he's going to drop her off the Eiffel Tower. And because Emil has a gun and he's like, I will shoot you. And, um, <laughs> but he finally gives the gun to the commissioner and the commissioner throws Maud at Emil. And I was like, that's, ah, oh, you're such a creep. <laughs> you should die. But they end up up there and Emil turns on the light and blinds him and he ends up falling off. But it's just one of those climaxes, but then it starts again. Mm-hmm. And climaxes and it starts again. So you kind of like forget what is the real ending of yes, it. Yeah. In the end, they do end up beating the commissioner. Yay! <laughs> Yahoo! But the problem is that the flea, he shrunk back to his normal size. And so the, everybody's all sad because he's no longer there. And Lucille goes back to her cabaret and she's about to go on stage but she can't because she just sees everything that reminds her of the flea and it's just like so sad that her friend is gone Mm -hmm. yeah i like that this whole time they didn't try to make it seem like a love interest between lucille and the flea oh yeah just like a a partnership and uh, a friendship yeah it would be creepy (laughs) Um, but I don't know why I don't say that for Beauty and the Beast but I think it's because we know that Beast is human just transformed just sort of has a different shell this guy is a flea will always be a flea no thank you that is weird please do not fall in love (laughs) (laughs) and they don't which is handled very very well because I think this could go into very disturbing territory if if she did have feelings for him because the audience would then be sort of grossed out by that um, yes. <laughs> yeah. the, the filmmakers did a great job about choosing elements or ignoring elements of the film that might gross us out. For example, the sewage water or yeah. and the flea human relationship. Let's not explore that. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's why it works. <laughs> it does. That's why it works. And then in the ending scene, it comes back, as we were saying, the botanist has returned. They go back and they get a real potion to make the flea big because the flea actually ends up attaching himself to one of them and ends up in her ear. And so she hears him singing. And so she's able to sing still because she's like, my friend is still here. Yay. (laughs) Chelsea, is that how it works for you? You have a little flea in your ear that just 
helps you harmonize. I yes. You mean this is based off you, this film? <laughs> I was once a French woman in 1910. <laughs> that was my previous life. <laughs> I had the easy life. I was a cabaret singer. I was a literal angel. Uh, but now, no, I decided to make it in country music. I still hey. have my flea, though. I still got my flea. He's come back with me. <laughs> <laughs> they never die. Uh, hey. They live forever in your skin. Oh, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's not talk about disgusting parts of the flea. <laughs> this, is, this is why the filmmaker chose to look past this whole point. Why we should have taken their route and not gone this far. Mm-hmm. So then they, um, you know, she's excited. She starts singing again. But then they give the flea the potion. One point he gets on the ground and they see him down there. They give him a little squirt of the potion. And he turns big and he's just tap dancing and playing the guitar and dancing. And <laughs> it's just... It's a different song they're singing this time, which mm-hmm. is good, because I think if I heard La Seine three times, <laughs> it might get a bit old. But the two yeah. variations is good. Um, this yes. is a different song they sing this time, and it sort of just ends there. We're happy because we're like, yay, the flea's back. Yeah. We would have thought we would have loved a flea so much. But then it, it starts up again. Uh-huh. And it's the continuation of the you know first grade story. And Lucille and Raoul are like, yay, we love each other. I love you, you idiot. Uh, did you notice the women are all the ones that are like making the moves in this movie? Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Even Maude kisses. <laughs> Maude's like, you're just as good as you were in my dreams. <laughs> Your dreams? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I like that ending. And then there's sort of another ending. You think that's like the credit scene, you know, that you wait for. And it's not. It, it keeps going. Did you see this? Yeah. And then there, this whole time there was like a blimp. It was very, like one of those blimps that you control by bicycle, like the great mouse detective. Love it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And so the second commissioner and Carlotta are there and they obviously have a romance too. I mean, got to love Paris. (laughs) Everybody's fallen in love. Maybe that's where I should move. There you go. I don't know how well your country singing career will go, but... <laughs> hey, it's all about the story. <laughs> and and then everyone's there, right? Yeah, everyone's just... It's one of those big happy endings where everybody's there. They're throwing sunflower seeds into the river and they're, they're growing giant and you know, <laughs> leaving this big mess in their wake. It's very good. So that's sort of the end. And then on top of that... One thing that I really, normally I would not pay attention to the end credits, but I left it on because I was typing up some notes on my computer. And very towards like the second half of the end credits, they show these colorscapes, basically like concept art for the oh, film. Yeah. No, It's like a storyboard, but it has color. And so they kind of just block out the main frames of where the characters are so they can get lighting and color right. It's just like a little painting. It's kind of sketchy in a way, really broad strokes. Um, Mm -hmm. This is very common for animated films to do this, you know, and they just on both sides of the the film, they just showed those colorscapes for the main scenes. And it was just really cool to watch because there are no bonus features on this DVD. There's obviously not an art of book. And so getting to see that was cool because I got to see a little bit about the creation of the film. And it basically goes from the first scene all the way to the end. So that was fun. Nice. Yeah. So let's rate it. I really liked this movie. I liked it even better the second time, as we were talking about in the very beginning, because you just understand it better and it it flows and you're like, I like this rhythm. It's got its own rhythm that you can just gravitate to. On the YouTube review we did, I think we gave it 3.5 stars. Is that what we did? I don't remember. That sounds right. 
It sounds about right because I remember I, it was good, but I didn't like like it as much. So, but now I give it four stars. Definitely a watch. Definitely something I would recommend. Yes, I'm everything that Chelsea just said. I completely agree. I give it four stars. I find this movie very enjoyable to watch, especially even the second time around. Because sometimes you'll watch a movie and you already kind of know what happens. You're just not really interested the second time or as engaged. But this movie, I was even more engaged. I liked the songs. I thought they were perfectly well done and placed in the movie because of the setting. Um, I liked just the different storyline. The characters were interesting to me. And yeah, four stars because like who'd have thought? Like honestly, I like I said at the beginning, I totally judged this movie by its cover because looking at it, you think, um, what is it? Like I don't even know. This just looks like it's gonna be bad. Yeah, but it's not. And and so. That's kind of what this movie's about, you know, with the flea. Don't judge him by his cover because he's actually very sweet and talented, even though that's fake talent. <laughs> and this is well, he's like annotating. He's he's writing out sheet music. This flea isn't smart. <gasps> that's my thing. Is that because of him or is that because of the potion? He's the potion just made him bigger. No, but there was another potion that made him sing. Yeah, was that a musical. I think that's he always musically inclined, but now he can just express it through song. I'm going to say that he was always musically inclined. Very talented flea, okay? (laughs) Very talented. Don't judge it by its cover. I'm sure there's always people who say, you know, I had never seen that movie that you reviewed, but I loved the review that you did. It was funny. It was engaging. I had a great time listening. So if you're one of those people who haven't seen this movie, just go and see it. Rent it on Amazon. We'll have all the links on different ways where you can buy it or or view it. We'll include that in the show notes because this is a great movie. And I think all animation fans should see it because it's such, I don't want to say masterpiece. That word is overused. It's It's not not a masterpiece. masterpiece. It's a very enjoyable film that is very underrated and I think not mainstream where most people know about it. So for that reason, go see it. Very highly recommended. I mean, it got four stars for heaven's sakes from us. That, I mean, then again, that may not be saying much because <laughs> really the lowest. No, 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 no. <laughs> we are harsh on some things. I mean, come That's on. That's how you know it's really bad. When it goes into the 2.5 level, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Because we're generally very positive about most movies, even if it's a bad movie. Generally, we yeah. Find, we find the good in it. But this isn't one of these instances where we're finding the good in the movie. There is good in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> This is not a forced conversation. <laughs> Let's head on in the mailbag. She's resplendent, so confident. Lesson, lesson, lesson. I realize I'm hypnotized. Lesson, lesson, lesson. I hear the moon singing a tune. All right, we are going to jump into our mailbag segment. We've received a lot of emails over the past few months and weeks, so we're excited to read them to you. Our first one's from Jessica. She says, hello, Rotoscopers. My name is Jessica. I'm 18, and I live in the goldfields of Western Australia. I adore animation and listen to every episode of your podcast. Thank you for doing a wide range of films. By doing so, you've introduced me to films I wouldn't otherwise be aware of, particularly Cats Don't Dance. Recently, I was recalling my most enjoyed animated television shows that I had to watch as part of my afternoon lineup. One of them was Cyber Chase. As a child, I was naively unaware of the show trying to teach me math, although it is extremely obvious to me now. 
Back then, I just saw it as part of the plot. At the time, there were many other programs trying to teach me things directly, but I changed the channel to something else because it often got boring and offered me no more than large pieces of information with no plot to keep me interested. Cyberchase had a knack of combining the math problems, seemingly discreetly to me anyway, with the plot, so it never became apparent to me that I was trying to be taught something. The series has received notice for this and just started airing its ninth season. Were there any animated TV shows that did that for you? Also, were there any rather annoying ones that left you completely uninterested. Thank you for your time. Bye, Jessica. Okay, as you were reading this email, all I could think of that one Simpsons episode when Apuna Hasapina Petalan is singing his song to the Simpsons, like, and then at the very end, he's like, Who needs the quickie mart? I do. <laughs> and I was like, He lied to us. He lied to us through song. I hate when people do that. <laughs> Oh, but I do remember one specific cartoon. It really wasn't a cartoon, though, but it did have animation to it. So I I consider that an honorable mention is uh, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? The cartoon show? Well, there was. Oh, yeah, there was the cartoon show, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely tried to teach you about geography and whatnot and history. I always thought that the kids on um, Carmen Sandiego were so smart. They're like 12. (laughs) And right. they just knew all these things about these countries, like Turkey and Pakistan. And I'm like, how do you know where that is? You're 10 <laughs> and I'm six. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of other shows that definitely had an educational vibe. Um, Cyber Chase is definitely one of them. I never really got into Cyber Chase. I was sort of beyond Cyber Chase's target market by the time it came out. But I'm really excited that it's still on. All I know about that show is... Um, Gilbert Gottfried is the voice of one of the characters. Ooh, he's nice. awesome. I'm glad he has work. That's great. I know, right? His is, he's got that character voice that it's like, you either, you need him or you don't. Mm-hmm. And it's very, there's no like in-between voices for him. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm glad that he's working too. Right now they have, I know I watched with my nieces and nephews, I don't know, the Crap Brothers. They had like a live action show when we were younger, but now I guess they're too old to <laughs> go out and do stuff. And so they have a, an animated show. <laughs> yeah. That's on Netflix. And I don't know, I enjoyed my time with them. <laughs> Our next email is from Sarah Costa, and she says, Hello, Rotoscopers. I have a question to ask, but first I want to say that I enjoyed your Cast Don't Dance review. This movie is underappreciated, and I'm glad it's getting some exposure. All right, my question is, I have to ask, how can we contact Whitney to give her suggestions for people to interview? This is a great question. How do we contact her? So you send an email to animationinterviews at gmail.com, or you can just send her a message on Twitter. Her handle is story sequence. So definitely give her ideas of people to interview, or maybe if you have contacts of people who can interview, even better. We're really, really excited about our new podcast. In case you don't know, we have a new podcast. It's called the Animation Interviews Podcast, and every episode we interview somebody in the animation world. We've interviewed um, the art director of Frozen. We've interviewed famous voice actors. We've interviewed a famous animation historian. So really, there's quite a diverse range, which I think any animation fan would find intriguing and interesting. Um, and we're really excited to have Whitney head that up. All right, our next email is from Peter. He says, Thank you so much for doing this podcast. I really think the show is getting better and better. I love the diverse animation news you cover, and I dream about playing Catch and Fire one day. I really liked the Charlie Brown episode. I even worked at the Schultz studio in the past. I actually helped with the production of the art and making of Peanuts animation book that came out last year. You can find my name on the back of the book. 
Also, I wish we had more stop-motion talk to talk about. Just a hope. Again, love the show. Keep up the work. God bless. Peter. Thank you, Peter. That's very interesting, and I'm definitely going to have to check that book out because, first off, any art of book is fantastic, and especially one about the peanuts, even better. Um, so thanks for the recommendation. I'll pick that up and, and review it on the YouTube. On the YouTube. I sound like an old person. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the YouTube. On YouTube. <laughs> Awesome. Our next email is from Anja Jarley, and it says, Hi, guys. I just listened to your episode about Frozen, and I had to write to you. Before I saw it, I hadn't watched the trailer for the movie and didn't know anything about it, so I was very surprised that it was so much about Scandinavia and Norway. All the names, Elsa, Anna, Sven, Hans, and Olaf, are very Norwegian names. Very old-fashioned, but very Norwegian. And I loved hearing them in an English movie. The trolls were great. But the tale about them here in Norway is that they live in dark places. They come out at night, and if they are out when the sun rises, then they will be turned to stone forever. That's why we have so many odd mountains and rocks in Norway. Wink. I just have to say that we love our mountains and fjords. You should come see them. It's worth it. I want to come see them. But here in Norway, we actually know how to speak English. Yeah, we have some people that aren't so good at it. But it's not every day that they say, ja, in every sentence. This annoys me so much that people think that that's how we speak. We don't speak like that in Norwegian or in English. I know it showed on The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, man. But we don't talk like that. But Mason's impression on it was hilarious, and I laughed so hard. <laughs> I just wanted to make it clear that we don't say ja all the time, and we don't have our family in a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, such a great part. Uh, this is just me ranting on how I, as a Norwegian, saw this movie and the contradictions to Norway and our traditions. I agreed with you very much on what you said about the movie. I also love Morgan's singing. It's so pretty. And yeah, the music in the movie is great and makes the movie great. No, it's not the best since The Lion King, but it's a very good Disney movie, and I wish they would not press so much storyline in so little time. The movie just went so fast because of all of the different scenes, and I would like to have just establish the characters more. I had a feeling that I didn't know the characters as much as I would like, but overall, it's great, and I give it five stars. Can't wait to watch it again. You guys are so funny, and I love how you are together as a group. So much fun. I also voted for you every day of the podcast awards, and I wish you won. Because you deserved it so much. Love the podcast and can't wait for a new episode. I hope I get to hear your thoughts on my mail. I'm sorry it's so long. But I had to tell you guys. Feel also free to ask me anything about Norway. Anja. Aww. Yay. I love that email. Thank you. Uh, definitely love all your thoughts on Frozen. And thank you. That's such a nice compliment about my singing. I'm, you know, when you grow up being best friends with Chelsea, you never really <laughs> see yourself as the singer. I actually just got recruited to be in the church choir. The choir director was sitting in front of me and we, it's not like we're struggling for choir members. Like we have a packed choir, but then yeah. she sent me this long email saying, I heard your voice and it was so clear and in tune. And <laughs> I'm like, I don't have the best voice, but I, I do believe that for the most part, it, yes, it is a bit, it is in tune. You are always in tune. So, and I, I, I think that's growing up singing in church 
every week you kind of get a feel for it and then also playing the violin you definitely know what is and what isn't the right note so it was just really funny because I never have fancied myself a singer but really the only reason I joined choir is because I get to play the violin so (laughs) (laughs) yay (laughs) yeah so I've never joined a choir in my life but and and it is a goal to be a better singer like I want to learn like the tips and tricks and just practice to you know do what Chelsea does <laughs> well, we did have our fantastic duet on episode nine, Morgan. We did. And we were going to have another one for um, Frozen, but it just didn't end up working out with timing. We were going to sing um, Love is an Open Door. <laughs> <laughs> Or we were going to sing uh, for the first time in forever, which both would have been hilarious. So if we throw those in at the end of an episode, just don't be surprised. Even if it's not frozen, not even a frozen episode, just don't be surprised. (laughs) It won't be this episode. Just let me tell you. It won't be this episode. (laughs) Just keep listening. Oh, and she mentioned about the podcast awards. So the podcast awards were in the beginning of January that they they were at the New Media Expo in Las Vegas. And I attended. And first off, the New Media Expo was fantastic. I learned so much and I made, you know, a lot of connections and just a lot of stuff that I didn't really think about, which I can now take back and apply to the podcast and the website just to make it even better of an experience for all the readers and the fans and the listeners. So I'm really excited to, you know, apply those things that I learned at the New Media Expo. And we didn't end up winning the podcast award, which I was kind of expecting because at that point, it's just a popularity contest. Kind of, they did listen to your podcast and they chose the finalists from there. But then the actual voting was just uh, whoever got the most votes. And some of these podcasts have so many uh, listeners and fans. They're huge. Like the guy who won in TV and film, he won in four other categories for different podcasts that he does so he's huge and i but the good thing the good news is he's not eligible next year (laughs) (laughs) really yeah yeah so i guess if you you win one year you're not eligible the next year which is kind of silly in in my opinion but yeah take it it works for us (laughs) yeah totally so next year guys it's gonna happen let's make this happen okay right Eventually, everyone else will be out of the running, and it will finally come our turn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The pearl of my heart, locked within a shell, too afraid to let it go, to let it show, and all the headlines read for our love. for listening to this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. We had a great time, just Chelsea and I, talking about A Monster in Paris. Really, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Go on Amazon and buy it. Of course, use our Amazon affiliate link, rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. That's one way that you can really support the show, and we mean it when we say just by clicking on the link and whatever you end up buying after clicking that link, a portion of it goes to help support the show and make these podcasts possible. I mean, if you want more podcasts, then keep clicking those links. 
And of course, you can find everything Rotoscopers on rotoscopers.com. That's where you can find all the news and reviews in the animated world. We have a wonderful writing staff who's very passionate about all sorts of animated films. And so they're, so they're always coming up with new things to keep us informed about what's happening in the industry. And it's really fantastic. And then, of course, they put opinion articles out, which allow them to share their thoughts and opinions on, on different concepts and films. And it just... I love it. I love reading the opinion pieces. I love reading the news. I love just going to the site and commenting. Um, of course, if you've been shouting at your iPod and, and just saying, ah, I completely disagree with you, or yes, I agree, you know, join the conversation. Go to the show notes for this episode, which you can find at rotoscopers.com slash 59. You can make all your comments on that post about this episode. So be sure to join Chelsea and I in those comments. We'll definitely be checking them out and commenting along with you guys. And of course, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, basically any Anywhere where your lovely social media outlets can be found. And you can find me, Morgan Stradling, on Twitter. I'm at Morgan Stradling. And of course, you can find Chelsea on Twitter at Chelsea Robson. And then you can go to ChelseaRobson.com to check out her website. Um, yeah, that's good enough for me. Okay. <laughs> Let's not put too much into this. <laughs> so until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. rotoscopers.